Well, hello everyone. It is that Weems guy here for another episode. We are recording on Sunday, May the 14th at 9.35 p.m. Eastern Time. And we know when it noted for the record that John Hearn was on time for this this recording episode, this recording session. John, well, I'll take a moment to give you golf claps. But we did not wait on, on Hearn tonight. Well, I can say not just Hearn. Not just on time, but early. Thank you. As opposed wow. to his, you know, record of missing podcasts completely. <laughs> I do recall that we had one title like, you know, who needs John or something like that because he didn't. John, show it was up. John who because he didn't show. Yeah, yeah, John who. The not that he would have said anything important or anything. Is it too early for the get pack coach to uh, <laughs> give you a tug? <laughs> hey, everybody, Steve's here. So. <laughs> Uh, we have a rather large group tonight. Uh, We're going to be doing a recap of the Cognitive Conclave that we held here a couple of weeks ago in Georgia. Uh, the principal instructors for that were myself, uh, Eric Gellhouse, and John Hearn, uh, with significant contributions and apparati for Mr. Steve Havey, who was also our, uh, our statistician and I guess match director to a certain degree. So, Steve, say hello to everybody real quick. Hi, everybody. And everyone, to just at the exact moment, start text messaging. Uh, Eric and John, Eric, say hello. Hello. I waved. John. Hey, John Hearn here again. Eric, John, and Steve and I are frequent uh, participants here on the show. We have some new faces uh, making his very first ever podcast appearance. Sean B. Hi, my name is Sean. I am noted for destroying Steve's targets and or apparatus. Right. Uh, tell everyone about yourself, Sean. Sure. Uh, I am uh, one of those people. I am an attorney that works in the criminal justice system. So that's kind of the perspective that I tend to bring to uh, the training that I do. Um, relative training background for purposes of this podcast uh, in addition to the sobriety test, that was the uh, my state's post fi uh, firearms qualification. I have done uh, two-day intensive pistol skills with Tom Givens. Most of your pistol curriculum, Lee, with the exception, I think, of trigger management. Uh, several classes, both formal and informal, with Randy Harris. So, I guess what I would say is that I have a solid application background when it comes to. Uh, the firearms training that I've taken in the past, no competitive background of note. I've shot a couple IDPA matches. All right. Now we move on to noted food choice critic, Monty Grubbs. Hey, guys, I'm Monty Grubbs. Uh, I'm out here in West Texas. I'm a 14-year paramedic and dadgummitly. Uh, <laughs> um Anyway, I've trained with uh, Pat Rogers several times years ago, Eric Galhouse, Wayne Dobbs a few times, Dave Spaulding, Lee Weems, uh, Scott Jedlinski, and probably some others that I'm forgetting. All right. Justin? Hey, Justin Carroll, uh, a former special operator, former OGA contractor, and that was uh, all that was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Other than that, I haven't done a pistol course uh, since then. I've uh, done a couple of revolver courses with Greg Elfritz, Chuck Haggard, uh, a couple shotgun courses and things like that. But uh, this was the first real pistol training I've done in, in quite a long time. You know, and it just, 
obviously you've done no work at all with your pistol in the shed. Right, right. I dusted it off. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> I hope the audience noted the sarcasm there. Uh, you were also affiliated with a particular web page or two. Oh, uh, yeah. Yes, sir. I founded and started a website called revolverguy.com, um, which uh, Mike Wood does most of my, uh, the guy that wrote the New Hall book uh, does most of the writing over there for us. And uh, I, my personal blog is swiftsilentdeadly.com. And making his return to the show, Mr. Randy Watt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you guys again. Uh, Randy Watt, 36 years in law enforcement, retired as chief uh, in Utah. 34 years active duty National Guard time as a colonel, retired as a colonel, uh, special forces, multiple trips to the war. Been a firearms, longtime firearms trainer, longtime SWAT guy, and trained with a lot of folks in a lot of different countries. And uh, just recently had the pleasure of working with uh, uh, Lee and John. I'm also a range master at Gunsight with Eric. And so uh, it was uh, it was a real pleasure to attend the conclave. Thank you, sir. Uh, I guess we'll go around now and ask each of you, why did you sign up for the conclave? Uh, what, what attracted you to it, Sean? Uh, so I read the names um, and knowing a bit about the background of the people involved and having trained previously with two of the three, I had at least some idea that this was going to be more decision-making with a gun in my hand than it was uh, to use the phrase that Justin used. And also I will use my AR of firing squad practice. This was more judgmental shooting. That's what I expected. And that is absolutely what I received. Money. Uh, yeah, you know, almost a year ago, Eric mentioned that you guys are working on, I think, back at the Shotgun Summit. And uh, I just wanted to be there because it, was, it wasn't, it uh, was you know, shooting polka dots, nor was it just throwing rings down range everywhere. It was literally thinking with a gun in your hand. And, and that is absolutely what we got. Justin? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing everybody else did. Um, I got a, an Eventbrite notification and saw the names. Uh, and I, and the, the course description was so vague, it was super interesting. And, uh, you know, not just to bring a thousand rounds and we're going to shoot all of it. And I don't know, ha having had a little bit of, um, I guess, insight from Chris Baker's video about, you know, John's course, um, that's, it, it ended up being about what I thought it would be, which is awesome. Uh, speaking of the, the vague description, is I, I was being vague on purpose because I couldn't tell everyone exactly what was going to happen. And like, people would send emails, so what's the course content going to be? Well, you might have to kind of trust us to show up on that. Was that because uh, you guys didn't hadn't decided yet? or <laughs> <laughs> That is a valid question. It's a very valid question. No, actually, we actually had it planned out before we put the, uh, put the announcement out there. We, we did do a Zoom call like the week of the event and we were going through our schedule that we put out. Okay. Now who was doing this and what was it about? And we'll have one thing that we couldn't remember what it was we were going to do and uh, based on our notes, but uh, we didn't want to give away the things that were going to be in the event. There were some emails about like, Hey, what do I need to do to get ready for this? Like just show up. Mm -hmm. This is not something to go out and practice for. I think that's a key point there. Not something to go out and practice for, because I, so much of training, to, to quote Claude Warner, 
so much of classes is nothing but firing squad training. And people show up and they want to get the trinket and go home. And that just was not what this event was about. So. Randy? Yeah, what I, um, of course, you know, uh, knowing Eric, uh, got a little bit of information and idea about what um, they were looking at. But I've been studying the brain and how the brain works under stress and how we create effective operators, you know, from the, uh, from the special operations side all the way through the tactical side. And this appealed to me because there's really very little out there uh, that you know, there's scientific and there's studies, but there's very little practicality. In, in 2004, I had done a scientific study of point shooting versus sighted shooting and published it in the Tactical Edge magazine. And uh, so I've been studying the brain and since then about how it works and how we apply it there. And so this is exactly what I was looking for and it popped up. And so I grabbed onto it and it uh, did not disappoint at all. Do you think the techniques that we use would have been good for training special operators like you did all those years? Yes. You know, we, uh, in the special operations community, we have a number of uh, courses, as Justin can tell you, that uh, are very, very dedicated to high performance skills. You know, we have a saying there are no advanced techniques. There are only advanced applications of the fundamentals. But, uh, and we do real well at building tremendous capability. But training the brain alongside of it either happens intrinsically as part of the training or it's brought to it with the operator. There's very little that is applied to shaping and training the brain for performance. I think there's an expectation that selection processes and or experience uh, bring the right people to it. But I'm, I mean, we're, of course, we're very good at what we do. The law enforcement tactical world is a little bit different in terms of selecting uh, folks. And so I really think that, that there are uh, pieces of this, majority of this could be, uh, you could build a tremendous program that would really help operators, particularly in critical decision-making in microseconds. Justin, you have any follow-up comments to that? No, I, uh, Randy said it very well. All right, I'm going to surprise John and throw it to him to let him ask a question to the panel now. And I can tell by okay, the look on his face, he is completely surprised. Uh, that on, was on a, a cognitive lawyer for you, John. Yeah. Now, I was going to scale of one to 10. How wonderful is Steve? Let's start with that. <laughs> 9.7. He'd be higher if he'd let you. Let us thank him. Yes. The, Steve uh, very, very, very much earned his moniker of the Magnificent Steve. And it has been tremendously pleasing that that moniker has spread throughout the shooting community. Like nobody ever questions it. It's like, why is he the magnificent Steve? Once they meet him, they're like, yeah, he he is he is rather magnificent. And he's shaking his head there like he's in disbelief. But no, uh, folks, uh, I don't have the words to express how much Steve means to me personally, and means to the training efforts that that we've got going on here and uh, how much he has meant to the development of me as an instructor as well. Uh, I know he's got my back all the time. Uh, 
we have a running joke that he always messages me the night before class is like, is there anything you need me to bring tomorrow? It's like, I don't know. I haven't gotten there and see what I've forgotten yet. And uh, <laughs> I just, now I just got right. Let's go over to his truck. And I don't ask if he has something anymore. It's like, Steve, I need the whatever. And he just goes and gets it out of his truck. Cause he's, he's gotten it there. All right. Eric, do you have something you'd like to ask everyone? What could we have left out? Between the classroom and the range time, what, what could we have left out of it? We'll go around the horn show. Speaking to me, if the... My gut says the malfunction clearance. And the reason that I say that is we or rather the time spent educating us on how to do so. I think there is certainly validity to the inward manipulations that you taught Lee, but I think the issue with the class is more so you already had a very educated group of shooters. Um, mm -hmm. I think everybody knew how to do that. I think the drill that you used at the end to get us to add that cognitive lobe was very effective to do. It's just that I personally felt, you know, with the group that we had, folks know how to do those things and so i frankly would have rather spent more time doing more judgmental shooting but that's just me i'll, I'll respond to that after everybody goes through money uh, honestly i think the very last thing or the next to last thing the shoot off uh, i mean it was fun it was i'll give you that but i don't know how much value it added for me um that's just my kind of my contrarian outlook on it that um, I, to me, it didn't quite fit the program, but maybe it was just kind of a way to, to get everybody to relax and, and have a good time at the last little bit there, but I, I could have done without it. Justin. Uh, I, I would say I have no, no feedback for this. I, I thought it was all valuable. Um, I got something out of all of it and I could have, we could have added another day and I'd have been happy. Randy? Justin said it well. There was nothing. I was constantly learning and evaluating as much by watching what other shooters were doing as I and watching how they processed information, whether it was in the shoot off or handling um, malfunctions. Yeah, everybody knew how to do a malfunction, but under certain pressures, sometimes it went off and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> The inboard versus outboard thing was not about inboard versus outboard manipulations at all. It was to put some cognitive load in your head and make you start thinking about something other than your, your, your preloaded motor program. And Randy, I think you were one of the people that I asked to stand on the end of the line and be an observer uh, when your group was going. I'm, I may be wrong on that. I stationed observers on each end of the line to watch what happened when people hit slide lock for the emergency reload. And having that in your head, everybody was concentrating on the malfunction clearance. That when they hit that slide lock, it was like there was all up and down the line, people stopped and looked at their guns. What's going on here? And that was purely to put cognitive load into your brain and get you thinking about something other than just simple executing a motor program. So that that's you would very be hit fair. with this for us. 
it, that's very fair, and that's just a perspective I did not have on it at all. I wasn't looking at it from sure. that angle. Yeah, and I should have better, done a better job of explaining that yeah. after we did that in the class. And I would also offer that I suspect the inboard malfunction was Lee's hope that he would be able to record somebody else having a complete meltdown so that he could just randomly, at least once every six months, send them a video of their utter and complete failure in front of a national shooting celebrity, right? And uh, he was hoping for more of those ammunitions because he uses the, the one that he has really, really well. Yes, I do. I wish I had loaded it on the iPad so that I could drop it into the screen right now. I should have done better. I should have prepared better. Uh, there are actually some video up and down the line about people just like completely like when they went to clear what they thought was a malfunction and their pistol was that slide lock. And like just stopping and going, looking at their gun, like what is going on here? Uh, I actually stumbled onto that accidentally. I uh, teach in a class and I was teaching them as a handgun combative essential pistol class and was teaching this, you know, the handgun combative and board. Uh, inboard manipulation and had given those instructions that when you hit slide lock, do an emergency reload, give me two more. And all up and down the line, everybody just froze when they got to that slide lock. And so I had them do it again and it happened. I was like, okay, I have just stumbled onto a training tool accidentally here. And that's why I wanted to throw it out to the group. And sure enough, it just through both groups up and down the line both times the first time you got there it hit each of you steve do you have a question you'd like to ask everyone you're on mute steve <laughs> yes i realized that thank you if you were If a friend of yours said, well, why should I go to this class? What would you tell them? And Sean, we'll start with you. What I would say is I feel the skills that are, I don't know if tested or taught is the right word here, but starting at the lecture, I think everything seems to build on itself and you really get a lot of, this is coming out word salad, it, in a way, it's almost like with John Murphy's Eat Your Vegetables class where it, you know, has a little bit of everything that you need to know and nothing you don't. Um, in a way, this was like that with regards to the judgment portion. Um, I mean, everything from target selection. I mean, like you think, okay, I know where I should place my rounds, but you do John's thing there. And it's like, okay, this is actually the value of having that center bias target. Um, I think it is... The reason that I would go, again, is it, it's really an unparalleled opportunity to practice, particularly for somebody who is not a police officer or somebody who's not making these decisions constantly day in, day out, day in, day out. Um, it, it's a rare opportunity to be able to make those uh, decisions in a fairly safe environment. Um, and by, sa by safe, I mean consequence-free. Money. You know, I, I think I would kind of sell it to people that, uh, especially if it's someone that's already taken a class or two or a whole bunch of classes, is there's just some things that you don't even realize that you don't know yet. Um, I, and I think everybody, and especially me in that class, was uh, representative of that. 
Um, you know, and, and for the most simplest example of that is something that Lee just talked about was everybody stopped and looked at their gun. And we all did, or pretty much everyone that I saw did, especially me that first time. So there, there's just this class gets into, there's things that you don't even know is out there that you need to work on or that you're already doing or that you should be doing differently or better. Um, and then also because I'm kind of a medical nerd being a paramedic, um, you know, like getting into the anatomy portion, I think most people don't understand what's really going on inside the thoracic cavity. So that's why shot placement becomes super important. And I, and I think the average person doesn't think about that really. Okay, Justin. Uh, I think the lecture was phenomenal. I, I thought all the lecture was great and none of that's content that I've received uh, anywhere else through anybody else's training. Um, I think it was a venue to do a little bit of, uh, you know, not not maybe as much as a full-blown IDPA match, but an opportunity to pressure test a little bit of automaticity um, as those cognitive loads start to, as those mental tasks start to stack up, uh, you really find out where um, something doesn't happen automatically and you have to think about it and when something goes wrong. Um, I think it's a amazing venue to add novelty into your training, a bunch of stuff that I've never done anywhere else, never seen anywhere else, never really see anybody talk about um, having any, placing any value on. Um, and getting to do some things that are that we commonly talk about, like the tooler drill, but like when have you ever actually shot one with a target running at you? Um, I thought, man, I thought there were a ton of um, a ton of benefit from the from the class. Um, yeah, I guess okay. I, I'll stop there. Randy. Yeah, so um, you know, it was it was it was very impressive. I really enjoyed the how the range was set up to accomplish the task. You did a great job there, Steve and and the others. I think as word gets out, one of the issues you're going to run up against is getting shooters who aren't ready for this in it. You may have to devise some type of a of an entrance um, test, shooter's test. You know, maybe they have to video themselves doing two or three different things and send it to you if, if, if there's a question about them. If we had, and we did really well because the shooters were really good. They were higher caliber. But if you were to get one or two or three people who weren't to that level yet, I think it would have put the brakes on a lot of what you were trying to do. So I think you're just going to have to to figure out what your entrance requirements are um, uh, for the future. Uh, I would attend again and go through exactly the same thing and enjoy every minute of it and even pick up some more stuff uh, because I think it's extremely important to learn more and more and more about how the how cognitive load is affecting decision making, particularly the speed of processing, which is what I really wanted to be there for. All right, John, now that Steve has shown you how to do this, would you like a shot at asking another question? Uh, I'll ask another question, but I cannot be trusted to guide the direction, so I will defer this back to you. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was different was that I think we said the round count for the weekend was 500, which if, for a cool guy, blast him up class wasn't that high. And I don't even think we got anywhere close to using the full 500. So um, I, I guess my, my question is, did you feel cheated uh, in that process? And as part of that, um, you know, the ratio of classroom to range stuff, that was probably part of the reason um, the round count was not as high. I mean, how, as a student, how did that make you feel? Uh, thoughts about that? Uh, I'm assuming you're starting with me. No, absolutely not. Did not feel cheated. I am of the opinion, you know, having done those 
a few of those higher volume classes that there is such a thing as shooting too much. And I would rather spend the rounds that I have doing something that I felt valuable. Like I think, you know, the portion that I used the most ammunition on was your, uh, the, your, your thing with the lights. I don't know what you call that. And I fired maybe 50 to 60 rounds there, but each, each of those rounds had a lot of value, not so much because it was a difficult shot, but because of what I was having to do in order to make that shot. Um, so no, as far as the classroom, the range time, I actually think that was balanced quite well. Um, if nothing else, because frankly, it kind of sucks being on your feet all day. Money. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I actually kept track and, and mine was my round count was 225 for both days. And uh, I think that was just right. Um, I, you know, I've been to classes, I think we all have where the biggest thing you worked on was loading mags, because that's all you were doing was pouring rain, uh, rounds down range, or at least it seemed like it. No, I'm not going to mention names. Uh, but I, I thought it was it was just right. I mean, I think you could go 10% more or less and still be fine. But um, you know, I, I I think that yeah, we do shoot too much a lot of, in classes, and I think that uh, you know the round count obviously was affected as Sean mentioned because there was some lecture and stuff, which is that's part of it. This isn't just a shooting class; this is a learning class. Justin, oh, I love going home with ammo. Um, yeah, I didn't feel cheated in in any way, and I probably shot more than anybody because there was no one on my target for the second relay, uh, John station, so I just stayed up there. Um, as far as the classroom, um, man, that was tremendously valuable. Like I said in the last question, I'd never been presented any of that content before. Um, I could have done, you know, significantly more classroom and still walked away feeling like I'd gotten my money's worth. Randy? Yeah, I agree. Uh, in fact, uh, Lee can attest to the fact that the next day I emailed him and asked for link, links and different things to the studies because I want to go through the whole studies. I found the, the information, some of which I knew, but I couldn't attribute it. Uh, and you guys have done a great job, John and Lee and Eric, of attributing that information. I'd like to go and read those studies completely to see uh, what's in there. And the, I found the classroom to be very valuable. And based on the questions that were asked in the classroom, I don't think there was anybody who didn't find it valuable uh, and was gaining information. As far as the round count, uh, I was very happy with it. Uh, not a not a bit of a complaint for any of it. I was very happy with the management of the whole course. All right, uh, we are looking at hosting future cognitive conclaves. We're actually uh, yesterday I put out a post in the show group soliciting suggestions uh, for venues, and I've actually had started having talks with a couple of venues. Uh, for upcoming events. Uh, we set the minimum at a classroom that holds at least 30 people and uh, two bays. More bays will be preferable. Uh, one reason we would like to go to having three bays if possible is we, the three of us talked about, we thought that maybe there was a little bit of downtime for guys like when you're waiting your turn to go on some of the individual drills is that if we could get a third bay going and make the groups a little smaller and have three groups that were rotating and then all three of us be teaching at one time, uh, you know, Mike could spread that some of that so you don't have as much downtime in there. Um, 
would you like to see more hands-on stuff in the future event or would you like to see more of the classroom stuff Sean? yes um <laughs> the what i will say is this uh the one thing that I wish that I had more repetitions of was uh, Eric's, I think he called it the blue tape or judgmental press drill. And the, re the real reason that I like that is because that's something that can be done at home. That's attainable to do at home. Um, but the flip side is, is that is a drill when you've got, I think we had 15-ish people in each relay. You know, that, that's, that's something that takes quite some time to work its way through. Um, so what that means is that you get fewer overall reps, contrast that with John's where, you know, we probably did, you know, we probably made 50, 60, 70 individual force mm -hmm. decisions over the course of this thing. Um, both had their value in different ways. Uh, as far as the classroom and what I would say on both the classroom and the shooting is yes, so long as they have value. What I mean by that. I do not feel that there was a wasted section in there. I did not think that there was any, uh, any presentation that was done or any, uh, any shooting block that was done that was wasted. And I guess what I would say is I, I, I would not want to go just for the sake of being able to shoot more. So. Um, and I meant to say this when I followed up to your comment earlier, I just forgot. Uh, I had already been thinking on that particular topic that you talked about there, you know, maybe the malfunctions. I think what I'm going to do in the future is change that up to a section on interleaved drills where we're working on linking multiple, multiple things together. So maybe some of those drills get used in that other section, but instead of trying to do the stacking of the cognitive load on the front side without telling you that that's what I'm doing, to, doing is, uh, you know, go straight up from the fact that I'm, I'm forcing you to link skills. And that would probably get into a little higher round count right there than what we got into uh, this past time. Monty. You know, I, I think the, the lecture part, uh, all, all the lecture parts were, were, were very valuable because they were good information. They weren't you guys just trying to fill 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. Um, and, and, and this isn't a typical two-day pistol class. So I think it, it worked well. Um, and also, I think, you know, based on, again, the, the, the type of class, if we have an hour lecture and then we go out and burn it down for four hours and have an hour lunch and then we burn it down again, I think by three o'clock, you're going to see people that are fried. You know, they're going to be standing out there in those trees wondering, you know, what's going on with the cows type of thing. And uh, that's why I would be kind of leery of adding a higher round count to it, more shooting, uh, because, you know, I, th I think that, uh, like I said, with a type of class, you, you, you have a tendency of people, they either get loose with their safety and their attention span, um, or they're just simply not, they're simply not learning as much because, you know, and, and maybe it would be even better to like structure it like an, just for an idea, uh, lecture in the morning for 30 minutes, hour, whatever you know, shoot lunch and then do another lecture to kind of get people from the lunch where they just tune out to get them ready to go back to the range. I think is, it might be something to consider. Justin. I thought there was a good balance between classroom and range time. And uh, because of the direct applicability, like Eric's uh, ready positions class on day one is, is the easiest example to point to because we talked about ready positions 
and then we went to Eric's station and we did ready like st stuff that was directly applicable to what we learned. Um, I, th I thought it was a great ratio. I, I didn't think there was like too much of one and too little of the other. And I think if you added a whole lot more of one or the other, you'd probably have to add more time to the class. I thought it was a good balance. Randy? I thought the, the pace and the mix was excellent. And part of the value of the pace I found was uh, particularly when we could run um, two lines it gave me time to sit back and reflect and take notes uh, right at that time. Uh, there were a couple of the different events where we got an opportunity to debrief before we moved on. And that I thought was very valuable and could have been done to a little uh, deeper depth, I think, at a couple of stations. And then there were a couple that we had to move on. And so we didn't really discuss there. And I think by the time we got back to the classroom, you know, some information may have been lost. So. I think if we were able to get a five to 10 minute discussion at the end of each one of these events and hash out what people are thinking, feeling, seeing at that time, it would really add to the value, particularly for those of us taking notes, because we could we could put that down uh, other than that. And that's not a criticism, that's just a, a, a piece in terms of, of time management for the future. I don't think we need to shoot anymore. And uh, I think the classroom sessions were excellent. Somebody did something and like you all just changed yeah. places. Oh, well, I was just you and Steve. Okay, Steve. So I was going to ask uh, Lee, John, and Eric, uh, for each of you, what's the one thing that um, surprised you the most in terms of what you saw over the weekend? That you know you were maybe you were expecting X and instead you saw Y or um, so we'll start with uh, we'll start with you Eric. I'm, I'm going to alibi on this one and make her an answer because I'm actually I'm thinking about that right now. That's why you got the dog look? Okay, I'll I'll give you guys time to think about it. I'll tell you what uh, what surprised me. Um, Everybody shot really well. They shot very accurately. Uh, when I went back and looked at some of the scores uh, for the first thing that we did that day, and I'm not going to discuss what we did because I'll let you guys discuss it if you want to. But uh, I think 92% of the people shot it with a passing raw score in terms of accuracy, but only uh, about 56% passed it when you factored in the other factors. So I expected a little less accuracy from that group out of the box, cold, first thing that morning. All right. So Eric, have you had a chance to think now? I already alibied to John. And you... Okay, John, you've had time to think too. So I don't mean to seem self-serving, but I hadn't I had an idea when we started to do this thing that it was going to be solid, right? I thought that when we got out there we all had, you know, we, we're all experienced instructors. As Lee and I have learned, you can take pretty decent people, toss them together. And if they're on the same sheet of music, it actually still turns out okay. So I was expecting a really, really solid event, like probably like a solid B uh, was my expectation, especially for the first run, because there's, you know, there's the instructor's main is time management, right? I was expecting like a solid B on the first run and we have to take a lot of notes and like, yeah, we have to change all these things. 
Um, I was um, very pleasantly surprised at how how well the whole thing gelled together. Uh, I find myself deeply disturbed that apparently um, Lee, Eric, and I are part of some hive mind, but um, I thought everything flowed together way better than I thought it was going to. I'm like, I was like, I'm not sure what we're getting into, but we'll find out. And, you know, we'll use this as a basis to, to springboard from, but I was utterly uh, surprised and, and very happy um, at how, how well everything worked considering, you know, the, uh, the, uh, quite honestly, not the, uh, the, the all, you know, there weren't hours of meetings about what we were going to do about this stuff. So I, I was very happy and surprised uh, with the way everything went. I was, and that, and, uh, as noted, we, we attracted a fairly solid level of shooter that let us do what we needed to do. So I appreciate that uh, everybody that's listening that was, was there, you know, thank you for being safe and thank you for being a confident shooter. Okay, so are we alibying over to Lee now, Eric? No, I, I will go now, Steve. Jeez. Um, I shouldn't be surprised at the quality of the feedback, but but it's been it's been gratifying, and I'm not talking about the you guys did good, but the nature of it, what what's actually being said, not only here but online, um, Justin's piece online. Um, there have been a couple other ones that have, that have come up, and the depth of the feedback, the nature of the feedback, um, how it's validating some of the stuff. And the one thing that I've been kicking around a bunch has been um, some of the, the commentary on how we can make up for some of the downtime. And I've got an idea, but I, I'll run that past you guys later on. But it's just, I've been, been very happy with the willingness to provide worthwhile feedback on this. Okay, Lee. I'm going to go to back to something that I already knew as an instructor, but was just reinforced. And I'm going to take ownership of a failure on my part. And, you know, as I'm mentoring new instructors and, and supervisors within, within the organization, one of my common mantras is that if you get a set of instructions, and one person comes back messed up, but everybody else comes back and gets it right, then that one person was messed up. If you give a set of instructions and the entire group comes back messed up, then the instructions were bad. Uh, we had an incident in this, this class where one group came back and followed the instructions and the other group came back and was pretty well messed up. And I kept trying to decide, what does that say about the instructions, which were coming from me? So what does that say about me? It was, was I conveying what I was trying to get the students to do correctly? And, and I don't know how it plays out from what, when one group does, like you, like you said, the other group doesn't. So I'm going to say that the instructions were messed up. And so I had spent a considerable amount of time since the event on how I can achieve the same things that I wanted to achieve in that blog, but without the meltdown. And that, that we had to spend it. Uh, one student actually sent me a set of written instructions. They were part of the group that messed it up. They sent me written instructions for the drill, like from their memory. And I'm like, that's what I told you to do. 
<laughs> well, yeah, but okay. Uh, uh, that was just the biggest, I don't know if surprise, but the biggest takeaway for me as far as how to improve on doing this next year and in everything else that I do with, with this whole topic. Well, I was thinking about that as well, because we both know who that person is. And, um, and, it, and I remember your reaction that day when you came over and you said, I don't know what's going on with this group. I don't, is it me? Is it them? What? And as I was thinking about it, I think there, and I want to get together with you on this, mm -hmm. a set of instructions that's brief, but clear, and they should be able to figure it out from a nice, brief, clear set of instructions. And it's part of the cognitive load. Part of cognitive is making decisions. So if you tell them to do X and they have to ask 14 questions about it, like, do, well, are you including one in the chamber? Do you want six in the mag or six in the gun or seven? Or what about this? Or what about that? Look, I've given you it. You have to make decisions without a perfect set of information. As long as you have, uh, or you should be able to use logic to come up with what the answer is if you just stop and think about it when you're given that set of instructions. Well, does that mean I can do this? I don't know. You read the instructions. You tell me what it says. So that, that, that will be interesting to see how that goes next time around. Interesting. One of the, the feedback I got offline from that uh, was from one person suggesting that I put the instructions in writing on a card and hand the card to each student and say, those are your instructions. And then go with it and see what we get from there. And don't let them discuss it with each other either. And then see what you get. You know, I think one of the things too was some of the differences in some of the backgrounds. Because I was thinking one student did ask a question and I know what I think I said back to the student. And then another student interpreted those instructions as something different. He said, no, 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 you said that he could do whatever. Like, no, that's not what I told him. I didn't say that back to the, that student. What I'm thinking is that's not what I told him to do. Well, as, yeah. as we know, um, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, you guys give me a lot of praise uh, at times, and I really appreciate mm -hmm. it. I don't know that I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I don't deserve all of it, but my comprehension skills are pretty good. And when I was in business, you know, I'd have the customer here and the salesman here, and they'd be talking to each other, and they both think, they're both nodding their heads. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, he's not saying what you, what you, you think he's saying, and he's not hearing what you think he's hearing. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time. And it happens yeah. on that line. So. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I called you know, Tom Givens on the way home that night, and I ran it all by him. I gave him the instructions for the drill. And I said, now, Tom, what would you do? And he described exactly what I had envisioned people doing. Uh, I talked to a couple other people. Uh, Dave Spalding, Eric Lund about it and everything. Like, hey, guys, and they all came back with, okay, if these are the instructions, this is what should happen. But when you come to think of it, they weren't there on the line at the end of the day and having had all that thrown at them. And uh, if Tim Reedy were here right now, Tim will be reminding us that you have to say things in a, in a manner in which they can't be misunderstood. 
And, and, and that's maybe why the written directions is a good idea because yeah. sometimes we don't say what we thought we said. Yeah. And, I, and that, that went into a lot of my, my planning on how I want to run it in the future. Because uh, to me, if you say load your gun with six rounds, I think if I already have one in the chamber, that means I need five in the magazine. I don't know why that's a question and why that why that leads to problems. But I guess to some people, it just, it just they, they don't think of it in that term. And so... Uh, Randy, I see you nodding your head several times. Can I put you on the spot and get your feedback there? Well, uh, um, I, I like Steve's comment. This is a cognitive mm -hmm. class. Uh, and I think if you get too detailed in instructions, you mm -hmm. reduce some of the thinking that has to occur within moments or minute, maybe a minute or two of having to execute a drill. And I don't think, you know, that's about, you know, in the army, we, you know, you'd go up and Eric and, and Justin being a Marine, they do, it, you know, similar. You'd go up to a station for a, for a testing event, for a tested event, and they would have a clipboard with a set of instructions and they would read the instructions to you and then they would say, do you understand these instructions? And if you did, then you go up and you blow it, you blew it. Right? But think how much time is involved with reading a set of instructions and then asking, do you understand? And dealing with the two, three or four people on an eight-person line or a 10-person line who aren't quite sure what they heard. Uh, and does that, in fact, improve the cognitive uh, situation? If you say to me, you know, you're going to fire X amount of rounds. The target's going to turn. You're going to have X amount of time to fire X amount of rounds, make this decision and put these rounds in this these places. Um, I either know I have enough rounds in my gun or I don't, right? And so as I step to the line, I either do an administrative or if you allow them a line, a tactical reload of some sort, and I get ready for the event. I'm not sure I need much nor should I get much more than that. Yeah, I think it was just, I think it actually goes back to people who actually spent a lot of time on the application side of it versus people who spent a lot of time on the technical side of it. And when I say application is they're actually living with the gun, doing things with it in their real world. Uh, And I don't say that as a derogatory uh, terminology for those that, that don't, is when you've actually been put into the, your job is making decisions with a gun in your hand, you tend to, to uh, be more thoughtful with it, I guess. And I think we hit a couple of people that just their whole background is shooting matches or they've been in classes in which everything has been specified out to them. Uh, for like instance, you go through a police academy, and the one I attended, they would tell you exactly how many rounds to put into each magazine, which one of the magazines should be in your mag pouches, so that every student went to slide lock and was cold range at the end of each drill. And that just always has bothered me. And when I moved on, you know, on through my career, I got tired of having, and, and I started noticing this is the difference between private sector training and, and government sector training, 
government sector training, pretty much everybody's showing up with a service pistol, duty gear, et cetera. Private sector, you get someone shooting a single stack 1911 right next to somebody shooting at 18 round Glock 17. Everything, they'll start asking how many rounds do I need to put in the magazine? Most how many do they hold? That's is my typical answer to that. Uh, one day I stood at the gate to our range and I told each deputy as they pulled in a different round count to load to in their magazines. And then I got them all on the line and started calling drills. And like the guy in position five, his gun would run dry and the guy in position six would stop shooting even though he wasn't out of ammo. And I would ask him at the end, why did you stop shooting? Well, he went dry. Like, did you? I was like, no, because they had never been put in that position. And I think this is kind of what we ran into on that drill. We're spending way too much time on that one, one particular portion of the event. I would like to go to each of the students and let you ask a question of your fellow students in the thing or the staff. Well, before you get there, John's had his hand up for a bit. I think he's got a point to make. Who had their hand up? John did. John. Okay, go ahead, Joe. I, no, I, I thought it was, I thought, you know, of all the comments that surprised me, I, I was kind of amazed at how much everybody pretty much said they had had enough. That's what I got. You know, we're discussing doing, you know, up, upping this more. I really do think it's telling. And I think a, a big point of the, the, what we were trying to accomplish, we actually probably did better in that um, all these guys who are very solid shooters and Monty, right, um, were pretty much admitting it's like, dude, we couldn't take much else of this kind of stuff i mean it's like i've um when i first started doing some of my cognitive stuff the the first guys who survived that class they still talk about how brutal that thing was and um i think it's an important point to the point people listening to this that maybe that weren't there that you don't have as many resources mental resources as you think you have and uh the, the event was a really good way of showing that. I mean, I think all these guys were like, you know, thank you, sir. Uh, I, I've had enough. What seems to be uh, a lot of what I'm hearing from folks. And I apologize, Monty. I, you were just sitting there in the dark. You were, you're an easy shot. Don't apologize. It was a good shot. You know, I'm reminded of a of an incident. We were, we were dealing with a situation at a, at a hotel where an individual was in his room. Uh, was thought to be armed and had made threats to harm himself. And we had gotten that information to us. And we had had the hotel call all the surrounding rooms and it cleared out, you know, all the, all the other, other guests. And then we formed this plan is that we were going to go up the hallway, we're going to knock on the door. I was going to be the person that spoke to the guy in the room and get him to come out or, you know, or make contact with him. And we were going to go from there. And as we started walking up the hallway, it's like I was walking up and getting ready to reach out to knock on the door. He decided to go get ice or something like that and opened up the door. And he was just as surprised to see me as I was to see him. And we both just kind of stood there and went blank for a second until somebody in the back of the stack just seized the initiative and took off. And I think that's kind of what happened a couple of times. Let's go along with John, what you're saying. Is you know, it's, it's like at certain people, people just hit points, people just hit their load, and then they have to stop, take a breath, and go. And I kind of think that was kind of the beauty of the event myself. That's what we were hoping to achieve. John, you have a question you'd like to ask everybody, or anyone in particular? Oh, well, Eric had his hand up. Does he want to go first? Or you want me to go? I, I just want to, it just kind of goes back to Lee's thing. I just shot a multi state match last weekend. 
And the, the competition side has that very specific, very detailed set of directions on the front end. And there were a lot of discussions and there were a lot of calls for match directors to various stages to, to re-explain, re-explain re things. So it, some of it could be coming from that. Thank you. Yeah, I'll keep moving around on my screen and I'm not seeing the hands on the thing go up anymore. Michelle? Uh, question would be for Eric. Uh, Eric, the thing that you did, um, I'm trying to be vague because I don't know how much or how much you want out there, but the thing that you did to test or rather show the validity of a low ready to mm -hmm. analysis on, I think both runs of that, um, I basically, I began moving my gun towards the target and then I aborted and you said something to the effect that that was the most interesting one of those I had seen and didn't really follow up. What, what was the deal there? Like, so we, we were looking at two things, right? Not only people act, making the assessment and go, but we were also going back to what we had talked about with the brakes. And that, that wasn't my specific thing, but John's right. So not just getting on the brakes, but having better brakes um, is, is I think where my mind was going on seeing those. Um, I haven't crunched the data for it. I've got it printed out. That's going to be one of my things on it while well, I'm on a plane tomorrow is to try to look at all those numbers. But I, I think it was you're up and then off. You're up and then off. And while you had, you hadn't hit the brakes, but once you did, you got everything stopped is my recollection. And yeah, so I, I think if I can, I think that goes to what Randy's talking about, talked about earlier about the making sure that we debrief stuff at the time better taking a little bit more time to do that so if i could piggyback on one point over there just said so one of the things i took away and it was interesting to watch and and of course to experience that breaking but what what i've decided and what my notes say is i want to become better at knowing when to step on the gas i don't want to break i want to start at the right time and then mm. hit the gas i want to hit the gas pedal I don't want to start and realize I need to stop. I have to change. And so that's in my notes. As to, and, it, and it dovetailed with your low ready uh, thing uh, because now I had some solid numbers to show, as you state in that low ready presentation, the value uh, uh, versus the cost of where that position is. And, and you, as you guys know, I do expert testimony work. I have, you know, five to six cases going all the time. And uh, one of the things I've been saying for several years now to, to cops is low ready means low ready very differently from how we used to teach low ready. And the lower, the, the better to a certain degree. All right. So, so I don't want to raise my gun and realize it's wrong and bring it back. I don't want that on video. I don't want the potential implications of getting ahead of myself, gun up, and having an unfortunate circumstance result. I want the assessment to be more effective so that I don't even begin to hit the gas until it's time to hit the gas. Okay. Thank you. That, that was Randy. solid. Thank that you. was solid gold. Absolute yep. solid gold. Uh, I think I saw everybody's head 
like Perk Elford, he said, it's not that I want to stop, it's what I want to start at the right time. And I know that was that was brilliant. And unfortunately, Monty, you've got to follow that. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, I have a question for not just my fellow students, but for everybody here. Um, and it's just because it's one of my little, I don't know, I don't think I call it a pet peeve, but it's just something I always try to focus on on these uh, classes, at least involving pistols. Do you think it would be a good idea or beneficial, if you will, to push the idea of come to class and run this class concealed? You know, this, I mean, yeah, there were some people there that, that carry a gun for a living, obviously, or that have. Um, but I just always feel like we would probably, everybody would get a little bit more out of this, even if it's a little bit more cognitive load, a little bit more thinking and working, if we all were carrying our guns concealed, because most of us, that's how we're going to carry it out in the real world. May I? Go ahead, the, Monty, uh, Monty, you control who answers. Oh, how do I do so that? Just ask who you want to answer. Oh, well, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, Monty, I shot day one concealed with the gun that I carry from the position that I carry. And day two, uh, because I had looked at the weather, I had my inclement weather belt. And, you know, we were fortunate with the rain. But, you know, at that point, all my bags were loaded and I just went with it anyway. I do not carry a gun overtly in a professional manner, I guess what I would say. I, I don't carry it like a cop. I do think overall, um, I mean, unless your job is carrying a gun like that, that would be somewhat beneficial, um, if nothing else, to really show you how good is your draw and how good is your index actually. Uh, like when you start doing John's stuff, like I don't remember the shot process at all uh, when I was doing John's light drill. I just, I don't. I remember deciding and shooting. I just don't remember thinking about the shooting. Um and so that would show you how, how good your stuff actually is. I think there is value there. Um, I am, however, concerned, and I think part of this could be addressed by screening your students. There was a overall good level of skill amongst the students, but I think there was a diverse level of skill amongst the students. Mm -hmm. And yeah, some of those people may have been better served by shooting from a a gamer rig for lack of a better term take one more thing out of the equation to let them get some value from it right and 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 i am by no means bagging on anybody you know that was carrying openly whatever you know owp I, I, that's not my point my you know i i just want to be super clear about that i just wondered if it would uh behoove us to work from the concealed rig and if i could i i think if you were to do that i think there's there would be value in that, but now you'd really have to screen the students attending class because even very good shooters from OWV, particularly competitive shooters, tend to absolutely, I don't know what would be the word, stuck at, um, at concealed carry and safety tends to really be an issue. Uh, I think, you know, Monty, uh, watching you and then watching Sean, I don't think you'd have a problem with concealed stuff because you were very safe. That's, you're not the a average or even the mid-grade shooter, in my opinion, when it comes I, to concealed carry. I, I can think of the one person I saw that was pushing towards a safety violation was shooting OWB. That, and it was on one drill and we just, we hit the limit on that gentleman. Um, his cognitive load, even though the drill was over, but 
that that was the one time I saw it, and he he wasn't running from concealment at that point. I think it's a valid. He, I think it's he, a valid. He point. may very well, yeah. He may very well be not ready for concealed at all if he's struggling with safety at an OWD level. Right, and and I and I think you guys saying no, I don't think so, is is a perfectly viable answer because. You know, like Randy, I think you're dead on about there may be need to be some sort of, you know, assessment or something, you know, before the next one, especially if they're going to do things differently or, or anything, you know, more involved, if you will, because I, I, there's been a couple of people that have approached me about it. And I was like, listen, you know, this is not the first or second or third class that you should take. You know, I'm not trying to degrade what your, your skill level or anything, but this is not a beginner level class. There's a lot going on. I know that uh, we had discussed that um, for some of the stuff, and um, I think that whether you carry concealed or not is a, is a good personal decision. You know, I think we had discussed, like, when we were trying to give away awards and stuff like that, that, you know, um, you know, an easy way to do that was the only people that are eligible for, like, lights and, you know, for doing any sport events and stuff like that are the guys running concealed just to keep it even. But I also get the uh, – I think Eric's point was excellent. There were some people that – you know, if you'd added one more layer of difficulty to it, you know, that's, you know, whether you call it a cognitive load or a task loading or something like that, it, it would have been bad. So we were, you know, right at that kind of edge of, you know, what was smart and what wasn't, which is, I guess, how most of us live when I look at this group. Monty, I think it's a good question. Um, we, we're in a community that, that's kind of split between open carry and closed carry and i don't mean that like how they walk around in the world but how they go to training um i i see the benefit to it for the folks that that are primarily concealed carry folks especially as i get farther away from full-time le um with that said i i would say it would not be the time to force folks to carry concealed okay okay I presumed that people would show up to the class the way they carried a gun in the real world. And that does not, I don't think, what we got. But I'm not disappointed in the results either. Now, I will, I will comment on that. Um, mm -hmm. because, because I didn't really clearly understand what was going to take place, which, by the way, is fine. I like that. Uh, I went... So ODB, I, I carry 85, 90% of my day and it's concealed and, uh, and it's a concealable quality gun, but that's not what I showed up with because there were a lot of unknowns. I showed up with what I felt the most comfortable for, for, a, for a, for a new course to attend. We should point out for Shane Gosa, who will listen to this tomorrow, that you were shooting the new gun sight service pistol, which is a Glock 9mm. It was nothing short of awesome, except for learning there that it does not like metal dummy rounds and having yeah. to be cared for by one of the instructors and given the quality Glock OEM dummy rounds, which work just fine. Justin. Uh, I guess just out of passing curiosity, what would be the like what would be the baseline requisite for successive courses for students in successive courses? What would be your suggestion? I, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you guys. 
Good answer, Justin. Don't let them throw it back at you so quick. <laughs> I, uh, I, I personally, I, that's a tough one for me to answer because I have a very short training resume. Um, so when it, you know, when people start saying a oh, gunsight two fifty or whatever, like oh. I, th that would have excluded me, and um, I felt like I, I felt like I was appropriate for the level of instruction. I would use equivalent two. So equivalent to Gunsight 250, Range Master Combative Handgun. Um, what I can't remember what Dave calls his, but something that would equal up to a, a not just two days somewhere, but maybe four days to five days somewhere. Um, that includes all the foundational skills. Um, concealed carry permit, in addition to not in place of. Um, just so that hopefully there's some showing of them living with a gun on a regular basis. Uh, I think we're going to have to look at something on video, like shoot, shoot this drill on video, maybe a couple drills. Uh, maybe it's the stuff that's in Biggs worked one reload one and a bill drill. Right. A so single show. Things... Justin, you had a follow up. No, sir. I think that might've been Randy. Okay. Yeah. So, and I get this with, you know, my own classes, because I have a series of classes you build through and I'll get people say, look, I, I think I'm beyond attending your basic class. I want to attend the intermediate class. Or the, I think I'm there. And so I'll ask for what their training background is and what their certificates and so on. And a lot of times I won't get a good feeling for it. So I'll just ask them, look, what I want you to do is I want you to stand at the five yard line. I want you to put five rounds on a two inch dot um, in uh, in six seconds. Uh, just take a video of you doing that. Is that if they don't have sufficient skills to that level, then they're probably not going to be prepared for a wide variety of things that are based off of you know, grip stance, side alignment, side picture, breathing control, trigger press, follow through and recovery. If they don't have those basic skill sets down and can't, uh, with very little pressure, put five rounds on a two inch dot from the 15 foot line, then they're probably not prepared. That's just an example of when I say maybe a standard that they would do. That's just as an example. Then I, if they can't do that, then I tell them, look, I still think you need to attend the basic course before you come here because the complexity is going to be beyond what you just tried to demonstrate. And it's not even so much, uh, the gun handling and the accuracy itself. It's being able, it's having that level of automaticity to be able to do that while you're under this cognitive load, because we saw cases where people that we would never suspect would turn with a gun in their hands did, um, that, as, as they started getting stressed, some of these things weren't as ingrained as they thought they were. You know, I, uh, I've had to answer this question myself. And what I found is when I run my cognitive pistol classes and stuff like that, the, the stated standards, you need to be able to draw from the holster, ideally concealed and fire five rounds from five yards in five seconds and be able to keep them in a five minute circle. Right. Um, what I've observed is I run that three different ways. Number one, completely untimed, uh, second time from the low ready, and then third from the concealment. 
And it's like 15 rounds. And I know almost everything I need to know about somebody's shooting ability after that. Um, what I've seen is that if you throw one round, you're probably going to be okay out of those 15. But if you're throwing more than one round, you're going to suffer the rush of the class. But it's one of those things. It's like, you need to know that. And I think that's part of the value of some of the cognitive stuff is that I, in a perfect world, we would tax your skills to the point that they failed. And I don't think we got it out of any of you guys, but I think that there's value in maybe not being the best shot in the world and having a pretty good dose of reality. So, um, you know, just that five rounds, five yards, five seconds from concealment, um, that's a simple standard. It'd be very, you know, you can record a part-time uh, that would take care of that. And that would cover most of everything we needed to do because um, there's plenty of guys that have technical shooting ability that as soon as you ask them to think or move with the gun in their hand, um, all that technical, any technical skill beyond that is going to be wasted because they can't do it. You know, I struggle with saying you should have X number of hours of training or do you can perform X standard, et cetera, as a hard line to come in because, you know, one of the students that when he was supposed to be doing a reload or excuse me, clearing the malfunction, his brain went to reload and like com completely ejected a, wreck, a magazine full of ammo. And then I like, just kind of stood there and looked and stopped. I've personally been in over 50 hours of training as a fellow student with that guy. Plus all the classes he's taking from me. Um, I don't know if there's a bright line that we can put on that. And that it's gonna that it's gonna meet every standard, it meet meet with every possible thing. Uh, the late Doug Green used to say prerequisites don't matter because everyone lies and says they can meet them anyway. Um, I, so, I what I would say, I, I do think that two day fundamental class is going to be important. But mm -hmm. what I would say is that it probably needs to come from an instructor that's on a particular list. And when I say a particular list, I would mean an instructor that has taught their students to bring their gun out of the holster and not fire a shot. Um, I think there is a, I don't know if mindset is the right word, but the idea that, you know, not every time I whip this thing out, the pulling the trigger is the right answer. I think that is a mindset that needs to be instilled or should already be present before you do that. I do think you should have some sort of screener test, like uh, John mentioned. What I would say on that, none of these shots that I took in this class, I felt were particularly difficult shots. Um, but even John's light thing, we were at what, either three or five. Either way, it's not very far. And I was instructed, he's got his little five by eight target. And then inside of that's four by six rectangle. I was told to hold the four by six rectangle. And you know what, for the first 20, 30 repetitions, that was okay. Rounds start, you know, as the afternoon goes on, rounds start creeping into the five by eight. Eventually, I threw one or two slightly outside of that. That was a shot that I can make all day, every day on a square range. But when I'm doing this at a repetition, your, your skills do start to atrophy. So, Randy, did you have a question for the group? I think everything, not really. I, I, I'm really enjoying the, the conversation and dialogue. I think everything that I would have thought of pretty much been covered. All right. Well, we are.
at about an hour and 15 minutes right now. So I guess we need to start moving towards uh, wrapping it up. So I'm going to go around the horn to everyone. I was coming around, just kind of get your final thoughts. Uh, anything you want to say in closing? Also, if you would point out where people can reach you if if you're getting any classes or anything you're offering. Michelle? So earlier I was asked and I gave a really bad answer of how I would sell this class to somebody or how I would advertise this to a friend. What I would say is the, the purpose, at least, or what I took away from it is how to focus my training. Um, I can practice and shoot the Bakersfield Qual all day long. Um, I, I've done that. I know the skills that I need to do to do that. It's more so, especially with the academic side, I think you guys were able to really distill what matters and more importantly, why it matters. And I think that's important for focusing your training. As far as where you can find me, don't worry about that. So, thanks. <laughs> Who? Hern. Oh, okay. John, it's over to you. It's over to you, John. Hey, uh, John Hearn, Two Pillars Training is the website uh, as far as you know where to find me for stuff like this. Um, overall, I was just really, um, like I said, astounded at how well everything went off. And I want to thank everybody that showed up for the AAR and all the people that participated that made the uh, the first one of these uh, such an awesome success. And um, maybe we will or won't have more stuff next time. We may just have have uh, hit a pretty good recipe on the uh, the first run, which is which is very rewarding in a lot of ways. Justin. Uh, I'd just like to say thank you um, uh, for the class, uh, but also thanks for being so professional as instructors. Uh, time management drives me absolutely bananas in public safety training. Time is, people don't value time like it should be valued. There was no waste of time whatsoever in this course, and I sincerely appreciate that. Um, that thank you, generally, across the board. Yeah, one of the sayings about a government class is that we can squeeze three day class into five days no problem yeah uh, airborne training uh cram five days into three weeks yeah. Eric? Um, john and i were kicking it around the night before that one of our goals was to put the give the decision making back to the students take it out of the instructor's hand and put the decisions back in the hands of the students and i think we got there i i hope that's one of the thoughts that's in the minds of the, the people here as on the AAR panel and that people went through it. Um, I'm just very appreciative that folks came out to do the class and that we had the opportunity to do it. And it looks like people want to do it again. Uh, if you're interested in anything I'm doing, CougarMountainSolutions.com um, or Cougar Mountain Solutions on Facebook, Instagram, when I'm not teaching at Gunsight. Thank you. Dave? Um. Practical training for the armed citizen. I actually uh, now have a Facebook page under that name if you want to uh, see what I might be doing. Um, I, was, I was pretty busy that weekend. And when you're in the middle of things, it's kind of hard to tell how things are going and how they're being perceived. You're so busy getting stuff done. It was very uh, good to hear all the feedback and the positive feedback because of the job that Eric and John and Lee did. And the students put in some excellent work, some really excellent work. Uh, it was, it was a real pleasure to be there. Money. 
you know, one thing I want to say, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to watch this because they just want to know exactly what it was. Um, I think there's a lot of people that don't even know what the word conclave is or means, um, <laughs> just from what I've heard lately. But I, I don't, I don't want us to come off as saying, hey, you should be scared of coming to this class. We're trying to intimidate you or it's going to be too hard or, you know, or, or people are going to point and laugh at you. Um, because I guarantee you every student in this class from now on is going to have some level of, of cognitive load and cognitive failure. It might be once, it might be a handful of times, but nobody's going to point and laugh at you. Um, we're all in the same boat. I don't care you know, who you are and what level you're at, but I just want people to understand that, that it is very worthwhile, but don't be intimidated. Um, the second thing I want to say is, is I thought the, the whole class itself went off, in, in spite of John Hearn, it went off really, really well. Uh, you know, God bless Lee and Eric for dealing with it and, and the magnificent Steve, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, and, and again, I'm going to say that because we've talked about it before, and I'm going to say it again, Magnus, magnificent Steve lives up to his name. Um, he was absolutely the guy that kept the train on track. And, you know, one of my favorite things I pointed out about into the night was that he has the way of saying, hey, guys, here's what we're, we're going to have you do, and you need to do it. And everyone just goes, yeah, okay. Nobody gets offended, or at least they don't, they don't let you know it. You know, it's just like, hey, we're going to go do that, because Steve said we're going to do that. So, but other than that, I think everybody there did a great job um, all around. I will be back. Monty, I got to tell you, I got feedback from someone recently that said, I used to wonder why you gave her such a hard time. And then I made it. And now I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I made the mistake. I made a mistake of telling a relatively nice story about John Hearn. And, and look what I got. I, I got a shot from him tonight, you know, so that's fine. That's fine. Anybody, if anybody owed you a shot, it was Gil House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll just let it go. I'm not going to say a word because I kind of <laughs> I dug my hole. What? I dug myself a hole. <laughs> well, you you might have got your feelings hurt a little bit. Just saying. When? At dinner Sunday night. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that. <laughs> Just for the record, I really like mac and cheese. I'm just saying. <laughs> that. Oh. Steve wasn't even there and he got it. See, I let it go. I just It just rolled off me like water off a duck's back. All right. And Did before I get back, Coach jumps in here. Randy. Yeah, I just, uh, my apologies. I just checked my notes. One of the most important points uh, that uh, I wanted to tell everyone, I want people to understand, but more importantly to tell you, not one of those things you were using to produce cognitive load, not one of those little, let's call them learning events similar to a test was a gotcha. Not one was, not one of them was intended to be a gotcha. Not one of them was a point for an instructor to place themselves on a higher level than the student or the attendee, uh, which was, absolutely critical to its success and I think a main reason for its success. Not one of us, well, there might have been one or two otherwise, but the reality is not one person should have left any of those events thinking I got tricked. No, you didn't get tricked. You failed. Or you succeeded and maybe not as successful as you would have liked to have been, uh, but you learned something. Uh, Randy Watt, Warrior Creed, all one word, dot U.S. And uh, I'll, I'll be back, and I 
I plan on continue, continuing this association with all of you gentlemen. Well, thank you. Thank you for your great feedback tonight. I, the, the one thing earlier uh, was solid gold, but then what you just said there was, again, we were not out to trick anyone with anything. And I think that that bears repeating. Uh, so, so thank you for that great feedback as well. Yeah. The training is where you should go to test your limits and see what they are and learn how to surpass your limits. Uh, I think people don't go to classes like force on force and everything because they are afraid of failing. And this class was not about failure. It was about testing your, yourselves and maybe finding out what the holes in your game are and and surpassing them and, and coming up with ways to train to mitigate those and uh, i want to thank everyone for your uh, panel for showing up tonight uh, for all of you coming to the class and, and all of your hard work participating um it's very gratifying to have such a group of people that one wanted to be part of an event and that want to be a part of its ongoing success uh, i've been tremendously gratified with you know the feedback we're getting here tonight the emails that I've continued to receive, and I know that the other guys are receiving them as well because we've been calling and talking to each other. Um, the stuff we're seeing being posted online, uh, I think we've sparked something in the training community or actually captured a piece of interest that's been out there, but just there's never been an event uh, to capitalize on that. I think we've gotten, I think we've opened a door now. Let's don't close it behind us. And to everyone out there, uh, we understand that your most important asset is your time. Thank you for choosing to spend it with us.